today's expert process podcast. So if you're going to go pitch to some billionaire that you think, well, he's got tons of money, you better figure out what you're offering, right? So you better learn about that person. You better find out what they care about. You better, you know, you, you, you better do your research. And when you walk in there, you're not just asking for something, you're offering something. Do you know six in 10 businesses will fail within the first five years? First five years. Or 43% of Americans need a side hustle just to make ends meet? Just to make ends meet. Or that it takes 10,000 hours to master any subject? Any subject. Welcome to the Expert Process Podcast, where we cut the time to mastery in half with our seasoned pros. And now, from Atlanta, Georgia, broadcasting worldwide, here's your resident expert, Durante Smith. Hello, EIT Nation, also known as Experts in Training. I'm your host, Durante Smith, and welcome to my show. Now, What is the expert process, you might ask? Well, to put it simply, it's years of labor, hard work, blood, sweat, and tears boiled down into an easy, understandable format for you to digest and consume on your own schedule. I'm taking my expertise in the areas of film, television, animation, marketing, publishing, licensing, sales, and more to teach you best practices from across the board. But you don't have to take my word for it. You'll hear from leading industry pros with time-saving tips to help you advance your career forward in half the time. For those of you who want a deeper dive, you can join the many dozens, soon to be hundreds of students with our masterclass, The Expert Process. Now, the cool thing is it's an app you can download on your phone and work on your own time. Just go to theexpertprocess.com to sign up for it or an upcoming webinar today. And thank you for bearing with me as I retool the podcast for both video and audio to meet the demands of the COVID pandemic. Now, on to the show. All right, everyone. This is Durante Smith. I am back to you again with the expert process. And today I have my uh, guest host on, Greg Thompson. Greg has uh, co-hosted with me a couple of, I guess, a couple of shows now. And uh, Greg has... um, a friend in the industry, in the business that they met many moons ago. And Greg can tell us all about that. Greg, welcome to the show, man. And tell, uh, tell folks a bit about yourself for the, you know, for the folks that it's their first time tuning in. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, so I'm sometimes an actor, sometimes a uh, director and writer and spent a lot of time in the theater and then switched over to film. And I'm currently on the faculty at the University of Texas in El Paso in the theater department. And I also have a private studio in El Paso called Actor Space, where we try to corrupt people's minds with all kinds of fun acting thing, thinking right. and <laughs> such. Gotcha. Tell us, uh, tell us about um, your friend Anne and uh, how you guys met, and then give us the formal introduction, if you would. She is a nut job, Uh-oh. in the best sense of the word. <laughs> Anne has the most amazing spirit. I adore her. And uh, we met, gosh, it's been probably close to eight years ago. Do you realize that? Yeah. It's, that's about right. So probably about seven or eight years ago, she was one of the first people in the film community that I met in Washington, D.C. And we just hit it off right away, and we've been friends ever since. And uh, I was pleased to have, have the opportunity to, to program one of her short films into uh, Silver Springs International. 
several years back. And as luck would have it, I do think it's luck. I think if it had not worked out the way it did, things would not have turned out how they did. So we had, Amazon was one of the few films, of course, a friend of mine who's traveled all the way to Florida, we had technical problems with her screening. So I promised her we would bring her back the next year. And so she decided to come back again. And because of that, she got to know a lot of really great people in Ocala, and that led to some really cool opportunities she's going to talk to everybody about. Awesome. Well, uh, Anne, uh, it's Anne Wells. Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for giving us your time. We've had little, uh, little issues trying to make the connection, which tends to happen a lot these days, and we're very happy you're here. So welcome to the show, Anne. Tell us a little about yourself, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'm a writer, director, producer, and, um, I've been in the industry for a long time, since about 1997. Um, I started making my own films in 2004. Um, and originally it was because I was an actress and had been for several years and was having that sense that, and I was in Southern California, I was in LA and, um, I was having that feeling of frustration that I wasn't getting to pick what projects I was in. You know, I was, I was always like, here, please put me in your project. Here, please put me in your project, you know? And I didn't get to pick which ones I got in. And uh, so I started directing my own shorts just to give myself and my friends an opportunity to do what we wanted to do. And, um, so I did that and for several years that was kind of my goal and I was constantly shooting short films and um, with that goal in mind, always with a role in it for myself so that I could do this acting thing that I wanted to do. And <clears throat> at some point in the process I realized that I couldn't act as well if I was directing and I couldn't direct as well if I was acting. Um, in the same project, you know, I couldn't really lose myself in the character and also see the big picture at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so my acting was affected by, you know, by that and, and my directing was affected by that because I really wasn't able to direct the other people. I was sort of stopping in between takes and going and, you know, giving directions to the other actors that were in the same scene with me, <laughs> you know, and uh, that it just, it, it, it didn't really work. And so I realized I kind of had to pick between two things that I really loved and I loved directing way more than I loved acting. Mm. So when I was honest with myself, I just said, you know what, why are you, you know, why are you getting in front of the camera when you love being behind the camera? And uh, lots of other people love being in front of the camera. So, um, yeah, so I stopped uh, doing that at some point. And um, I just love, I love writing. I love directing. The producing, I wouldn't say I love. I would love to be able to hand that off to somebody else someday. But um, it tends to be something that I'm kind of good at because producing is all just about organizing things, right. being organized and, and making things happen, you know, right. having the energy and the time and the, you know, uh, attitude to just go make things happen. That's really what producing is. And so I, I do that because it works. It makes things happen. Well, it's a necessity. It's a necessity. I do it because I have to. Yeah. yeah. So your background, though, isn't film. It isn't TV. It isn't acting per se. It's arts. Is that right? How, how did you, oh, yeah. how did you make that connection? 
It, well, originally I was, I got my undergrad degree in um, studio art and art history. And then um, I got my master's in art therapy. And so I was a therapist. And then um, when I had kids, I really didn't like being a, the idea of being a therapist during the day and then try, being there for my kids in the evening. It really wasn't, it was hard to do. It's hard to give everything as a therapist during the day and then go home and give everything to your kids in the evening. You've kind of got nothing left. Mm. And uh, so I stopped being a therapist and started just being a mom. Um, but I was looking for something else to do. And I, I've always been very creative. I've always written stories. I've always, um, you know, painted and, you know, and stuff. So I was looking for something, something else that I could do and be a mom at the same time. And I stumbled upon acting and fell in love with it instantly and then fell in love with the business and fell in love with LA and, uh, and, and really, I still feel the same way. I just, I absolutely love it. I love the whole industry. I know everybody complains about it and it's got all kinds of issues like everything does, but, um, but I love it. I love the people. Um, I love the energy. I love uh, even how hard it is. You know, when you, even making a short film, you know, if you're doing it right, you know, and you're, you're, you care about lighting, you care about sound. Right about your story you care about the acting you you know you want to really put it together and and do it well it's a ton of energy it's almost an impossible task sure. to do it well and so there's it it's so rewarding you know to to get it done you know against all odds and right. to do it as a little team you become a family with the people that you work with and I just love it. I love it as an art form. And um, yeah, I love it. Well, so if you do shorts right, when you do a short film properly, it should be a launching pad for feature films. But a lot of folks, unfortunately, they tend to exercise a lot of shortcuts and they don't necessarily put the same energy or effort that they would put into making a feature. Therefore, the short tends to be a lot less, you know, a lot less than what it could be. Now, granted, I know a lot of folks don't usually have money or a lot of money to put in the short films and even features for that matter. But how did you go about financing your short films? And how did you go about, you know, um, as you said, you were producing them also. So how did you go about producing those, those shorts, which led to you making your feature? Well, um, in the beginning, I just sort of figured it out. I always use the analogy of like, if I had to learn how to make a mug because I needed to drink coffee and, and mugs didn't exist, you know, I would, you know, I didn't have a mug. I would, I would go figure out, well, you know, like, I guess it's going to need to hold liquid. So, you know, it, it, it can't leak, you know, so I'm going to list all the things it needs to have and then sort of figure out how to, to do it. Um, you know, I, it was one one at a time. Each was so different. Every single project is different. Mm. I had a very, I've always had a very, very supportive network okay. um, of people. And, um, and even from the very beginning, I hired 
friends, you know, to, to work with me and people that were in the industry already, people that were already professionals. Um, and I still, to this day, I'm always negotiating, you know, okay, I know this is what your typical rate is, you know, for this project, this is how much money I have. I know you're, you're worth this and this is how much I have but I need your talent. <laughs> so how can we make this work? Um, you know, it's, it's all about every step of the way, negotiating with people, trying to, you know, find people who are passionate about the same things that you're passionate about. Um, but not compromising in the sense that, you know, you can't just be like, well, my neighbor, you know, really likes movies and, you know, says she'll hold the boom mic, you know, um, that's nice, but if she's never held a boom mic and, you know, you need good sound, um, you know, then you want to find somebody who has done that before and, right. um, is going to bring some expertise to your film. So yeah, doing it right is, is something that, um, gets overlooked a lot. You know, I tell people all the time, you can do whatever you want to do. If you want to do it, do it, you can make it happen. But I think some people interpret that as being like, oh, great, then I'll just go grab my camera and go in the backyard and look, I did it. And it's like, well, you did something, mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know? One of, the, one of the things that comes to mind when you say all that too, I think, I think there's a big misnomer in a way. Yeah, you gotta have money to do this. You know, you're gonna have to raise it, whatever. Mm -hmm. but, but what a lot of people don't learn too is that, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't know where to spend it, how to spend it, yep. how to decide your, how you're going, wh where should that money really go? Where's the most bang for your buck? Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that I see a lot that hinders filmmakers is that they get these ideas of what they want and where they, and they end up kind of piddling away money that they don't necessarily need to spend because they don't understand yet where, wh what elements are gonna move you the furthest along. You know, I, I see bad sound, I see bad lighting and, you know, yeah, and I even, think even the money to have money to sit and take your time to write something that really needs, wants to be shot rather than hurrying everything to the camera. And, and you know, I, I know a lot of filmmakers are just so, they, they so need something to edit. And I'm like, but don't you want to make sure you're editing something good? The yeah, best editor in the world can't make bad good. Yes, there are a lot of things that you cannot fix in post unless, you know, you're a magician or have, you know, millions and millions of dollars. But even then, there are just things you can't fix in post. There, you know, if you didn't do the lighting right and you didn't do sound right, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to look bad. And, you, you know, you can, you can do whatever you want to it in post. It's going to look the way, you know, it's going to look bad. It's not going to have good lighting. It's not going to ha have good sound. You know, one of the things I say to people is, do you think that we would do that if we didn't have to? Right. I mean, do you think that if, if a movie actually was going to look good, if I just grabbed my camera and didn't care about what was in the background, what was in my shot, what, you know, whether the sound was any good and whether the lighting is good, you know, and I, I just went and shot it, you know, if it, if it could look really good and I could do it that way, of course we would all do that because it wouldn't cost any money. <laughs> you know, we're not raising money and spending money for, for no reason. 
Right. You know, so yeah, you, you can't think that you're going to get a quality, um, product, um, without spending money and without taking the time to get the right people on board. And like Greg said, making sure your, your script is right. And, you know, you're just not going to get a good product and, you know, you can go around going, yay, you know, I made a film, you know, that's great. But you know, if it, if it looks terrible and you didn't learn from it, then, you know, I, I don't pointless. know. Pointless. That's pointless. Yeah. So, so let me say this. Um, and I think you, of course, both of you guys are right. Um, those are the big things, right? But in my opinion, there are also a ton of smaller things that often go overlooked. They're, um, they are, it's an oversight for, I'd say, probably most beginning or first-time filmmakers, which is the fact that if you're calling on friends, and what you said was, you know, I have these relationships, and I'm calling on these folks with this set of skill sets or expertise, but there's the trade-off. Because you're saying, okay, well, you know, I can't pay your rate, but I'm going to be able to pay you. I'll pay you something, but I can't pay your rate. I, I still need you. How can we make this happen? Well, now, my experience has been, I'll, I can only speak to myself. My experience in doing that has been, not all, but some, I won't say most, but I'll say some will give you their, they'll lend you their expertise and their time. But here's the kicker. The kicker is they want to make sure that they are treated properly meaning that you need to have a professional set, right? Mm -hmm. It needs to be ran professionally. You need to treat it as, as any other professional set that you could step on with respect to your budget, right? What that means is, now you may not be able to offer them a trailer, right? You can't offer them a honey wagon and all this other stuff, but you know what you do need to offer? You need to offer food. You need to have that um, craft services, right? You need to have a... Uh, uh, money for lunch and for dinner or for breakfast. And I mean, you know, I mean, you, you have to have those things that requires planning. And then the other thing is hair and makeup. You can't ignore that, you know, because that's on screen, your props, your, you know, your, your costume design, your, uh, your art direction, those things are in front of the camera. Yeah. Right. And those are those things I always tell my daughter about paying attention to detail. Right. Those are the, the things that, in respect to what you see in the camera, in the frame, make a difference. Yes. Yeah, I think everything that you just said is absolutely right. Those details make a difference. Taking care of the, of the people that you work with is essential because it's a very small industry. Everybody, mm -hmm. you, you are going to run into those people again, uh, and you are going to need them again. And you have got to take care of them. You've got to make your set run smooth. You've got to, you know, get all your shots in, in your day. Um, you, you have to respect their time. You have to respect their, their um, expertise. You, you want to give them a product that they're going to be proud to have their name on. Right. Um, and you, you have to, yeah, you can't run over. You have to give them a 12-hour turnaround. Um, even if you're not required by law, you just have to do those things because it's the respectful thing to do, you know? Well, that's, that's a great point too, man. You know, I'm always interested in, or intrigued by, and what you just said, that, okay, we're not under a SAG contract. I don't have to do the things this way. 
And a lot of people kind of get a chip on their shoulder about unions and so on and so forth. I've always tried to teach people, look, look at the unions, because what you have is many years of organized thinking, of many years of people problem solving, and that's where those contracts get generated from. And some of it may seem weird, but trust me, there's nothing in that contract that isn't there for a reason. And so the thing I always say to people too is, don't ask me to practice my craft at a lower level than what I'm capable of. I really try very hard, every time I walk in a classroom to teach, or on a set to act, or whatever, I have a personal goal in, in mind always of, I want to practice my craft at the highest level I'm capable of every day, and it yeah. should get higher as I keep going. Yeah. And I think that, that filmmakers don't sometimes understand that. And as a producer, you're in a position to where you need to try to ensure that every single person on that set can practice their craft at the highest levels they're capable of. And feels appreciated and knows you went out of your way. Look, even if it's the tiniest budget, if you forget about food or, you know, it's the last minute and you're taking a lunch break and then you're like, oh, I don't know. I guess, uh, can somebody just run out and grab sandwiches and then everybody's waiting around for sand? Right. You know, that little, those little things make people go, I'm not going to do this again. Right. You know, I mean, because, you know, if, if you, you weren't paying them at their, at the rate that they should have been paid you know, then you should have taken the time to make sure. And, and I've asked for tons. I mean, on my feature, uh, like the most amazing restaurants in Ocala, Florida donated food, you know, and we had yeah. them on a strict schedule. This is when it has to be ready. This is how many people you're feeding. Um, you know, and even on, on all of my short films and they were all union, they were all SAG, but on all of my, my, short films, I went door to door, knocking on restaurant doors, on bakery doors, on whatever, for months at a time saying, you know, hey, I need somebody to donate a breakfast. We're going to give you a thank you and we'll give you a, and that's the other thing is you cannot forget, you know, afterward, you have right. to finish the film. Right. You have to get everybody their copies of it. You have to get the actors their footage. You know, these people came and did you a big favor by saying yes and agreeing to be in your project and bringing their skills and like Greg said, at, you know, to the best of their abilities, you know, bringing everything that they have. So you owe them and you got to remember that because, you know, otherwise you're never going to get them to work again and they're going to, you know, tell other people and plus it's just being a good human being. You know, you ask somebody to do you a favor, you should be willing to, to, you know, take care of them. So here's my experience there. I agree. Yet again, I agree with you 1000%. However, this is what tends to happen. Yeah. What tends to happen is people will move on past the project, right? So the actors move on, the crew moves on. Mm -hmm. then guess who's stuck with the project? It's the producer, it's the director, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's naturally to be assumed, but what a lot of folks don't understand there is how long it may take to finish the project, you know, because if you don't, especially if you don't have the money, it could take a year, it could take two years, it could take three years, right? And then what happens is all of those promises that those, those producers made tend to kind of fall by the wayside right well, and they shouldn't but i'm saying that tends to happen probably more often than not i i think that it it can but i think another key piece in there is communication 
Yes. Because it it's fine. If it takes you 10 years, it takes you 20 years, it takes you whatever to get people what you owe them. Right. And what you promise them. Um, you know, you just have to do your very best, right? You're going to go off and work on it and do your very best. And maybe you have to raise more money. You And, you know, maybe you have to do all of these things. If you can drop a note, you know, even every couple of months, every, you know, if it takes you years, you know, every few months or whatever to the cast and crew to say, here's where we are in the process, just keeping you informed that, you know, that I'm still here working, you know, I'm still trying to make it happen. Um, I think that goes a long way. I mean, you know, as long as people know that you're doing the best that you can to give them what you promised them, you know, I, people will understand. I mean, yeah. and things happen. Like I said, I mean, you know, on set, things happen. I mean, you know, we had on on my on my feature, which is called an accidental zombie named Ted, by the way. Um, and uh, but on that, we had a couple times where people didn't get their food delivered, you know, on time, and so somebody did have to go running out and get something else. But everybody knew that that we had made arrangements to get the food. Everybody knew that we were doing everything within our power. It wasn't an afterthought. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think it's about your intention and it's about communication. You know, I think it's totally fine. It's not about how long it takes you and don't make unrealistic promises. Right. You know, you can say, Hey, I have the money raised, but only enough money to shoot th this after we're done shooting it. I'm going to raise money to do a trailer after right. I raise the money to do a trailer. I'm going to edit the trailer after I've edited the trailer. I'm going to raise money to, to actually, you know, create the, the longer project, you know, or whatever, as long as you've given them reasonable expectations and they know, Hey, you know, she's off doing, you know, working on it, trying to make it happen. They're going to feel fine. They're not going to blame you or get mad at you. But if you're not communicating and you just go shoot this thing and then six months later, they haven't heard anything. And then a year later, they haven't heard anything. They're like, geez, I went off and did that. And, you know, Voice I haven't heard word about it. And I feel yeah. like I wasted my time. Yeah. Now, for all they know, you are off there working really hard. But if you're not communicating with them, they don't know. Yeah. So I think it's about communication. I think it's fine if, as long as everybody knows from the beginning what the score is. So what I hear you say in that, and I say this often myself, is setting the right expectations up front, right? Yes. That is probably one of the most effective means of communicating with anyone, yes. but especially when you're talking about a team or a cast and crew yes. and all this other stuff. It's setting the right expectations up front because then they're going to see they're going to hold you uh, accountable to whatever you tell them, right? So mm -hmm. if you set the expectations in the wrong direction all you're doing is basically hurting yourself now that, that here's the other side of that i know a lot of people who um they they tend to follow the mindset of setting a low bar of expectations therefore they can meet the expectation without a lot of you know a lot of headache or you know trouble and that to me is wrong because if you set the bar so low for yourself then the other side of that is those folks that you're bringing in, they really won't respect that because they know that you could do better. Sure. 
Oh yeah. I don't think, I don't think deliberately setting a low expectation is right, but setting, um, uh, reasonable expectations is mm. important. And this is something, this is one of those things where, you know, if you ask me what mistakes you've made, you know, this is something, this is a trap that I've fallen into repeatedly in my career where I want to promise everybody the world. And mm. I want to say, you know, um, because I know that I'm shooting for the moon. Right. right. And so right. I'm like, you know, we're going to blah, blah, blah. And I have to, I'm pretty careful now about not saying, even the simplest things, like, you know, not saying, um, oh, th this is going to be done in a week. Right. Even if I, even if I'm 100% sure it's going to be done in a week, I don't say that anymore. <laughs> right. I say, you know, we're working on it, hope to have more information for you soon still working hard, hope to have more, more information for you soon. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I'm under uh, playing the expectation a little bit, but I'm not underplaying it for myself. I'm not, I'm not setting my own expectations or levels low. I'm just trying not to set up a situation where I could disappoint somebody. Exactly. You know, yeah. there's a two-edged sword there too. And I, I think we sometimes forget expectations you know even up front i this has happened to me two different times now that were like a big deal what they did so i was cast in a feature years ago that was shot in charlotte north carolina and i had already been i was working on another project in Asheville, and literally finished at like midnight and got up and drove six hours from Asheville before four and a half um from Asheville to charlotte Stayed overnight, got up early the next morning because the way they had set up was very strange. It was an indie feature that we were going to have breakfast together, do a table read, and then at noon we would begin our first shoot. Our first shoot. Hmm. So it was okay. a little odd. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And come to find out there was somebody that they wanted to be in it who was only there for the weekend. And so they were getting hmm. her a little bit of the, okay, I get it, fine. So I get in and I, wa I walk in and I set my script down. Well, there are scripts at every place around the table, sure, whatever. And um, the producer, writer-director says to me, so you're going to want to read from this script. And I said, actually, I want to read from this script because all my notes are in this script. He goes, yeah, well, there have been a couple of changes. A couple? We go from this kind of really edgy thriller to a Jesus movie, and no one has told me a thing. Wow. Oops. It has turned like super Christian. They've tried to force all that into this script that won't support it. It ended up being an absolute mess. And so come to find out the producer couldn't raise the money, but his mega church gave him the money as long as he turned it into a Christian script. Right. I was furious. Now here's the trick about that is then they're gonna look at you. Oh, so you're not Christian or you have a problem with Christianity. No, I have a problem with lying. Mm -hmm. It's a bait and switch. And you lied to me. Yeah. And he looked at me and said, well, you can quit right now, but look at all those people sitting around this table who won't get to make this film if you're because you're the lead actor. Mm. Those kinds of things are really problematic. Another situation, a girl was told up front, look, there is, you have to be comfortable with topless in the one love scene. And the girl had come in pretty much sharing her assets with everybody the minute she walked to the door and oh yeah no problem no problem no problem then we get to the set we're eight hours behind while she's having a total meltdown oh wow 
And the thing was, the way it was blocked was that my hands were over most of her breasts. You wouldn't even see, except what you could see around my hands, but she just, she was willing to do whatever. So it could be such a weird two-edged sword. I see directors who've been burnt, so I'm just not going to tell them until, no, you can't do that. You mm -hmm. have to state all that up front. All of those expectations have to be managed properly. Mm -hmm. Even in marketing, look what happened to the village. You set the audience up for what they thought was a horror movie, then we get there and it's some strange, almost thriller drama mostly. Again, even audience expectations. So I think as a producer, as a director, as a storyteller, that is a really important thing to understand that managing expectations across the entire production right, right. is so critical. It can really change everything. So, you know, I, that's something I, I'm glad that you brought up because I don't think people think that all the way through. I, I used to preach at film schools I don't think you should get your final grade on that project until all your deliverables are in. And that includes footage to all those actors who volunteered on your set. Mm -hmm. in, and I've had film schools push back and go, yeah, but I'm like, no, there is no yeah, but there is not. And here's why. I see this over and over again. What you are not doing is training those yep. young filmmakers to yep. hand over their deliverables. Yeah, yeah. And, and as a film festival director for years, I have to, you're in my festival and now I have to fight with you just to get the copy to screen. It, yeah. You know, we, we need to teach young filmmakers that, that again is part of the expectation. There's the other side of it. The expectation of you as the filmmaker is to deliver the product. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Airbnb. Malcolm and his friends left L.A. for a weekend at Asher's house and found themselves in 1974. Shag carpet, blue velvet wallpaper, chairs from out of space, and a sudden realization that just because you were born in the wrong decade doesn't mean you have to stay there. So, do yourself a favor and try it out. Use my promo code to save yourself $55 off your first adventure. Go to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, forward slash expert process Airbnb. Now back to the show. And I think it also goes back to communication because in your example with that feature, if the guy had called you the week before, whenever this all happened to him, and said, hey, look, I've got everything set up, but this is what happened to me. My funding fell through. I'm having to change the whole thing to be this religious thing. Look, I'm not even sure that the script can support it, but I have everything in place and, I, and the money is there and I have to shoot this. So we're just gonna do the best that we can. Can you please still stay on the project? You would have said, sure, of course. And we'll, well do the at least best that we can. Give me the script. Let me see what I can do. I mean, you know, because people are willing, you know, they, everybody wants to, wants to do it. Everybody wants to do projects. Everybody feels the same way we do that. We, you know, we're, we're artists, we're creatives. We want to do a project. So it's about communicating and, and expectations, but it's about just yeah. communicating. Like here's, here's what's going to happen. And I'm sorry that it happened this way. And this isn't what, it wasn't how I intended it but here's where we are. Are you still on board? 
Yeah, I didn't have, you know, I wasn't given time to even process that at all. It was just, uh, exactly. here it is. And I'm in, the, I mean, nobody's, I'm in the I middle of reading it going, yeah. don't forget John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. Now give me all your money or I'm going to shut your business down. It's like, <laughs> what? That's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, Anne, you, um, you were there in LA for a while. And then, as I understand, you moved to D.C., uh, yeah. which is from West Coast to East Coast, yeah. moved to D.C., um, transitioned from being an actor to directing and producing. Um, and somehow along the way or somewhere along the way, you met Greg um, through some sort of, in I DC. guess, yeah, in D.C., some kind of group that you guys had. Now, mind you, I know Greg from Atlanta, but I had no understanding or clue that he was in dc for a while but then he started the film festival in florida but now he's in el paso so greg is a he's a domestic international domestic traveler uh nomad i don't know i i don't know greg i don't know where all that came from you guys are like literally all over the place i've been in atlanta for 22 years so you guys are literally all over the place so explain oh, yeah. that i mean i'm just i'm i'm lost well <laughs> I've been a nomad my whole life also. I okay. don't even know if I could count right now all the different places <laughs> that I've lived. Um, and, uh, but I grew up overseas and okay. uh, my parents were in the Peace Corps. And so we traveled all the time. I mean, traveling was just what we did. We not mm. only, I lived in, in Turkey and in Yemen. Oh, wow. And we would come back, you know, to the U.S. to visit family and in the uh, along the way we would also just travel all over europe and you know um the middle east and and whatever just all the time so i kind of grew up in this kind of nomadic family mm. this sort of traveling sort of family so for me moving is not i mean it's stressful for a lot of people for me it's just exciting i get to you know learn a new place, meet new people. Sure. Um, so, but I, the one place I have felt kind of the most at home in my life is the West Coast of the U.S. So, okay. um, I lived in Seattle for three years and absolutely loved it. And uh, Southern California, you know, just was home from the minute I stepped in there, and mm. I was there in southern california from uh let's see from 94 to uh so for 10 years i was okay. in i was in southern california and um but i've lived in utah and florida and you know the dc area and uh all over the place and right now i live in portland oregon and uh, so I'm back on the West Coast and happy to be back on the West Coast. Um, and yeah, I think it's just that it's a, I think maybe from just growing up in that, with that kind of parents that moved us all over the place and, you know, we were never settled. In fact, before I even moved overseas, by the time I was three, I had lived in Michigan and Texas already. Um, and then we moved to Turkey and when I was three and so, yeah. So you I have kind of an unusual comfortability with moving or relocating, I guess you would say, right? So you're yeah. able to kind of adapt and make new friendships and those sorts of things. So then when you moved to DC, 
how did you start your film career, or I guess restart your film career there? Well, I, I was, I never really took a break from it. I mean, okay. <clears throat> so at the time I was doing shorts. And so from 2004, I, I had, was when I started shooting short films and I continued to do that in the DC area. Um, <clears throat> and I also taught um, at the middle and high school level, I taught filmmaking um, and theater. Um, and um, so while I was doing that, I would shoot a short film in the summer. Um, and during the school year, I was shooting all kinds of stuff with my students. Um, and then um, when I decided to, that it was time for me to shoot my first feature, um, I tried to do it in the DC area, but it's harder than people think. Um, shooting a feature, people think, well, I, I've, I've, and I did too myself in the beginning, that, you know, well, I've shot all these shorts, and so shooting a feature should be just sort of taking that same model and making it bigger. But with short films, they're, they're not, they don't tend to be a business, right? It's a, you know, uh, it's a, it's a project. A short film is, is like painting a painting. Um, right. A, you know, that you need a lot of money to paint, you know, for the expensive paint. But, you know, uh, a feature film is a business because it's so much money that, you know, people are expecting you to try to get that money back. So um, it, 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 it's instantly a whole different way of thinking and way of approaching everything. So, and you have to have just the right um, mix of um, resources. So like in the DC area, every time I tried to get it going in the DC area, what I found was that the people with the skill level that I needed um, had day jobs that paid them so much more, right? So, I mean, they were getting paid tons of money. What was keeping a roof over their heads and, you know, keeping their families alive was these jobs, you know, for the government yeah. and stuff that was paying them a ton of money. So they couldn't go, they could go shoot a, they could promise you, hey, next weekend, I could go shoot a short film with you, you know, over the weekend, because I don't happen to have a job booked. Um, but to commit to two weeks nonstop of shooting, right. or not, not nonstop with a day off or, you know, day, two days off or whatever, but I mean, to commit to that kind of timeline um, they couldn't do it because they couldn't tell these companies I'm not available for two weeks. So they were telling me things like, yeah, I'd love to do it. Okay, let's do it. And if I get a call, you know, this is like a DP, you know, yeah. if I get a call, you know, uh, to do one of these other projects, then one of my buddies will come in and shoot your project for the day. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that doesn't, no, it doesn't work, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so it was hard for them to understand that. It was hard for them to, and you know, the thing about LA that people I think outside of LA don't realize is they think, well, gosh, if it's going to be, if I'm too expensive, you know, for you outside of LA, well, the people in LA are going to be way more expensive, but it's actually the opposite because in LA, everybody wants to shoot a feature. Mm. So, you know, really talented people are all going to be, you know, scrambling to do your, your project, even if it's on the lower budget side, as long as they like the project and you're going to shoot it on something good and, you know, you've got a great team together. 
they're going to want to shoot it and they're they've going to have no time no problem taking two weeks off at your day rate that you're offering them to to do your project um so places like atlanta and la that already have a film industry set up and have all of these people with the skills you know that you need already there in town competing for jobs um that kind of works and it didn't really work in dc in dc people do documentaries and they do short films it's not that they don't do features features are done but it's more rare it's hard to raise the money it's not an industry that the dc area really understands very well um so well the logistics too the logistics of dc are tough you know i don't know if you know Duranta. you have things like like people see things like the wire or west wing or whatever and they don't understand that it's really like house of cards it's shot in baltimore they'll occasionally run out and get a beauty shot or something you know some sort of coverage in dc to sell it that's there people don't realize you have things in dc where because the parking is so hard to begin with no matter mm. what but then you have all these ordinances that say you can't have a box truck parked beside this building more than x number of minutes because oh, wow. of security issues because you're blocking a camera that's on the corner right. of that building or that's a building that has some sort of government office on the top floor yeah it doesn't say it on the building but it doesn't matter it is therefore you cannot park a truck that would occlude vision their concerns right. about security because it's the nation's capital so right. that's another interesting piece of the dc problem as far as building a viable uh filmmaking community there it's really yep. tricky but you know one of the one of the, one of the arguments that i'm having here right now with el paso i'm trying to help them understand because they're up against this weird thing being on the border of new mexico gosh it really sucks that we look across the border and they've got all this work well film incentives are generally tied to you have to employ x percentage of people from the state yeah. where those tax dollars are coming from but then on top of that the thing i'm trying to explain to them and really get them to learn this guys you don't have a crew base mm -hmm. i am telling you the film industry will always follow the crew base yeah. that is what atlanta did so right and so well long ago they had this pc and e and magic lantern and all these things you have cox communications which is huge turner etc cetera, etc cetera. you had such a solid crew base and you know as well as i do as a producer if i don't have to go in and and then fly my crew yeah i you, you gotta have that kind of, of crew base if you really hope to build a, a solid film community in your own town you yeah. do it's critical yeah. and then there are also simple things like weather so like yeah, yeah. the dc area has four different seasons and so it, and that makes it and it's unpredictable when you're going to start switching from one season to the next season so <clears throat> you know if if your if your uh, film gets your shoot gets bumped you know to a different season it changes everything and the weather is just unpredictable so you know in the spring and fall you don't know if you're going to get you know what kind of weather you're going to get on any given day um in the summer it's extremely hot and bugs everywhere which and bugs are a problem on camera you know oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so and then in the winter it's freezing cold and icy and potentially snowy and um so weather makes a big difference too so yeah i mean and what greg was saying like you know when i went down to ocala and i was saying to people it's, it's harder than you realize like to find a the right place 
And the reason I ended up choosing Ocala, Florida is because not only did they come forward and say, we'll support you, and I was able to raise the money there, but also, you know, I was able to access um, crew from Orlando and even some from Atlanta. And so it's not that far from both of those places that had crew. And I ended up having to fly most of my actors in, but it's still, we still, because of the, the particular, because of having raised the money there and, and all the donated food and donated hotel rooms and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, we were still able to shoot there because the crew, we were able to, to get the crew from nearby. So I think we jump forward a bit. Um, I need the audience to kind of understand that connection, you know. So essentially what happened, we, we uh, folks, we had this discussion prior to starting the actual interview. So I, I'm a bit more privy to what they're talking about. So um, Anne and Greg met at a um, function that she was holding with a, a partner. And you can explain that a bit more in a second. But um, she met there and then she had this short film that she, um, that she had that Greg, I guess at that same time, Greg was producing a film festival down in Ocala, Florida, and it was called the Silver Springs International Film Festival. And so Anne introduced her film, or I should say submitted her film for the festival. It got in, um, to make a long story short, and she, she can go more into that. Um, that ended up giving her, well, she got into the festival, and uh, I don't know what all happened with the festival, but nonetheless, um, that gave her an opportunity to to actually raise funds for a feature film that in turn she ended up shooting there in Ocala, raised the funds there in Ocala, and she can get more into that story. But that's really the setup that they're, <clears throat> excuse me, that they're talking about. And so uh, I just needed the audience to understand that connection. But you can, if you would, if you could pick up there where you guys had that, um, I guess, that venue and whatever it was that you were doing with the venue where you met Greg and kind of go from there, if that's okay. Yeah, so um, so I had started a group um, in the DC area for um, producers um, with another uh, another producer, and Greg came to one of the events, and he and I just hit it off right away. And this was, I guess, about eight years ago, and um, so we hit it off. And Greg was telling me about this film festival in Florida that he'd been running um, called the um, Silver Springs International Film Festival. So I entered a short film into it, um, and it was down in Ocala, Florida, and um, and at the and I it, my one of my short films got in, and so I thought, well, what the heck? I'll go to the festival. Um, and to to just kind of go on a side note here, you know, um, one of the things I advise people all the time is to stay open. Every single project is going to be different. You're not going to be able to use the same model from one to the next. Right. Um, every project is going to be different in terms of how you get the money, how you get the support, how the whole thing ends up falling into place. It's never going to be uh, very unlikely to be the way you originally envisioned it. As I had said, I had tried couple times to get my project started in the DC area um, with no luck. I had tried once in LA um, and I was trying all these different things. And anyway, so that was about my feature. But I, but with this short film, I went to this festival in Ocala, Florida and people there, you know, were so friendly and they were saying, you know, we love this. And I was telling them about this feature film that I was trying to get off the ground. And they said, 
you really should come, you know, make it here. We used to be a big film town and, you know, we would support you. And I was thinking, oh, you know, again, the issues we were just discussing about getting all the crew and the cast and, you know, everything in an area like that. I'm thinking it's kind of a small town. I don't, don't know that it's going to work. And then the next year, because of this fluke where my my short film, um, there were technical issues with it that first year. And so they invited me to come back the next year to, to screen it again. And I had loved the festival so much and the people in the town. And I mean, I just had a blast. It was the, the best festival I had ever been to. And so the next year when they invited me to come back, I said, absolutely. And um, so I went back the next year and um, people again were just saying, you know, and, and this time I knew a lot of them from the year before mm. and people kept saying, you know, you really should consider making your movie here. You really should consider making your movie here. And so when I came back from the festival that year, I thought, well, why not try, right? All these people are, you know, saying they would support this idea it doesn't really hurt to try. I was living in the DC area at the time. So driving down to Ocala, Florida, was one really long drive, one day, really long drive. But, um, so I reached out to Greg and, you know, who knew everybody in the town of Ocala, Florida. And, um, Greg did a bunch of introductions for me, um, to, you know, people that I had met and people that I hadn't met, um, and said, Hey, you know, my friend, Ann Wells is coming, to town to see if she can get her feature off the ground there. Um, and I got so much positive, you know, uh, some a huge positive response. Everybody was saying, you know, you can stay with me. You can stay with me. You can come talk to my Rotary Club. You know, you can talk to my Elks Club meeting. You can uh, speak at City Hall. You can, you know, and they were giving me all these opportunities. So I said, great, I'll go down there for a couple of weeks and see how that goes. So I went down there and it just started to kind of take off. I, I was down there and I would get an opportunity and I, I just said yes to every opportunity. So somebody would say, you know, do you want to come speak to my group? And I would say, yes, whoever they are, I'll come speak mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. I would go, I would tell them about the movie. I would tell them about, you know, how the shoot would go if we shot in town and what we were kind of needing, what we were looking for. And um, I started going, you know, to every restaurant in town to just, you know, just telling everybody about the movie and, um, and people started coming forward and saying, well, I'd like to be part of that. How can I be part of that? Mm. And, um, you know, so that's how I started getting investors on board. And once, once the, they started coming forward and getting on board and they would know somebody else who was also interested and do that introduction and say, oh, can you meet them next week for dinner or whatever? I ended up staying, I think at least six weeks that first time. It might've even been two months. I just don't remember. It was a long time. Wow. Um, yeah, until it really had just gotten off the ground and took off. Yeah. Um, and from there and then I, yeah i ended up shooting the movie in ocala so let me tell you what i hear probably a couple things here um one is you got the practice and you got the i guess the foundation to have those kinds of conversations um to have the wherewithal to be able to make the presentations um, and the understanding of putting together a strategy, right, an effective strategy 
with even your background in therapy, right? Which is um, taking advantage of your ability to communicate, right? So all of these things are a result of the continued practice that you got making your short films, you know? Yeah. Um, as you said, now I, I meet a lot of filmmakers who don't necessarily believe in making short films, right? Or they may make one short and that's it. Um, I meet a lot that maybe stay in the short film lane and they never switch over to making a feature film simply because they want to make this humongous budget film yeah. that they're probably never going to get financed, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of a, it's kind of a, um, kind of a fine line to walk, I guess you could say, but it seems to me that you mastered the art of what I'll call pitching, you know, which is where you have to go in and you have to have the confidence and the ability to ask folks for things, even if you're going to get shot down, if you're going to get rejected, if people are going to say no, because guess what? It may be a no today, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a no tomorrow. You know, the other thing is, and to, to me, it seems you're really, really good at is forming those relationships, you know, because it, it's, as you say, if you show the value to the other person on the other side of that conversation, in turn, then they, they appreciate you and the value that you bring also. Now, what I see that you brought to the table and what you recognized early on is that Ocala being a former film hub, right, they had an understanding and appreciation for what you could bring there. Greg had, um, had re-energized the town with the film festival, right? People were coming in, they saw those dollars coming in. So it's kind of, um, it's kind of a two-way street because it wasn't just you coming there to make the film. There's also the business side of that, where as you mentioned earlier, hey, look, you know, there's gonna be money coming into the town from all these folks that you're bringing in. They're gonna you know, turn around, spend money back into the economy. So, uh, you know, I'd like for you to speak to that. How do you, to our audience, a lot, you know, a lot of writers, a lot of directors, especially writers and producers, a lot of people are introverts, right? They don't, yeah. they don't really necessarily have that innate skill set to go out and make those relationships or contacts or do that very effectively, you know? So what do you say to them? How do you, how do you get over that? And how do you really master that um, skill set? Well, there are two, two things. One thing you touched on that I think is really, really important that a lot of people don't understand, which is that everything in life, every interaction, every, every kind of agreement is a, um, is, is a barter kind of situation, right? So you cannot be asking for things without offering things. Mm. You, you, you're never going to, nobody's going to just give you a handout. So you, you can't say, you know, here's what I want from you and expect people to go, oh, really? That's what you'd want? That's what you'd like? Here you go. Here, have it. You know, you have to find out what they want. Mm -hmm. So what I always tell people is people go, oh, I know this billionaire. He's got tons of money. You know, he's got money to flush down the toilet. I'm going to go ask him for money. And I always say, well, you can, but don't you think that every single person in that billionaire's life has asked them for money, right. first of all, right? right. And, right. and also, if he was just giving away his money all the time, he wouldn't be a billionaire. Right. And why does he care 
more about giving his money to you than to somebody else, right? right? What is it? What are you offering? So if you're going to go pitch to some billionaire that you think, well, he's got tons of money, you better figure out what you're offering, right? Mm -hmm. So you better learn about that person. You better find out what they care about. You better, you know, you, you, you better do your research. And when you walk in there, you're not just asking for something, you're offering something. So, you know, if, you know, I always use horses as the example because Ocala is a big horse town. And I always said all the way along, you know, hey, if I got to put a horse in my film, I will, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't end up needing to, but like I, but I, I was willing to, and if somebody had given me a situation where they said, hey, this billionaire wants to hear your pitch, and I'd looked up that billionaire, and that billionaire, all they really cared about was horses, you know, then I would find a way to connect my project to their interest. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother going because I don't have anything to offer. You know, you don't want to walk into any situation without something to offer. And I, I feel like the majority of people like that I've met at AFM and that I, I, you know, young filmmakers along the way, they're always asking for something and they're never offering something. And you have to realize that all human beings, like, why am I just going to, I mean, I'm willing to donate my time and help young filmmakers because I, I care about that. And I, I, you know, I happen to be interested in that. So if you happen to know that about me, you know that <laughs> you can ask me to talk to you, you know, about making your film and I'm probably going to do it. I'm probably going to say yes. Um, but if you, if, if you didn't know that, you know, then coming and just asking me for that without offering anything. And I don't mean offering money. I'm not talking about money as a barter. I'm talking about find out what the person cares about. Find out what they're interested in. Find out what they need. You know, if you're a young filmmaker and you want to come ask me for advice and help, you know, one way you could do that with me and, per, you know, personally is say, hey, I want to, I want to be able to ask your advice and I would, and I will also donate a few hours a week or uh, whatever to helping you with your next project, making some phone calls for you, um, you know, doing some social media for you or, you know, like, what do you need? You know, you want to sort of figure out like, what does the other person, you know, what's in it for the other person? Sure. You know, so like, for example, when I'm, when I was pitching in Ocala, I knew going in, these people care about their town. Mm -hmm. They care about the town of Ocala. They care about the businesses in Ocala doing well. And they, they care about the town of Ocala getting some, uh, you know, some um, attention, mm -hmm. right? So I thought about that every, you know, every step of the way. I mean, we did B-roll that had Ocala all over it that was unnecessary for my movie that's still in the movie and in the end credits and, you know, because it didn't matter where the movie took place, you know, in terms of the story, but I wanted to take care of the people of Ocala. I wanted to give back to them for everything that they had given to me. And um, I think you just have to go into every pitch meeting thinking, 
what do these people want? You know, so if you aren't thinking, if you're going to pitch your movie and you, you don't do the research ahead of time to the, about the company that you're going to, you could be pitching them something that they would never do, that they are not interested in at all. You know, if you're going to pitch sci-fi to a company that does drama, why? That's a waste of your time and it's a waste of their time. You know, and you go, but I got this meeting. Okay, well, well, why did you get that meeting then? They must think that you're doing something that they're interested in. So figure out what that is and make that what you talk about. You know, make that your connection. Find a way to connect with them about what they care about and figure out how your project fits into that. So this is what I hear from you, uh, and I agree everything you're saying. Th this is what I hear from you, is that you had to perfect the craft of pitching, it sounds like. Because pitching is, a, well, I should say, the art of pitching. Because pitching is an art in and of itself. Um, you know, a lot of folks don't have that, you know, they don't, they don't really have that um, comfort zone with making those asks and, and maybe connecting those dots, as you just did so eloquently understanding how, you know, you create a win-win opportunity. Now, as a salesperson, that's a natural thing, but a lot of us aren't salespeople, you know what I mean? So that's, it's making that connection, right? Now, yeah. to that point, I think you made a really, really valid point, but to that point, I mean, what is it that makes that pitch? Because you're saying, okay, well, you got to have something to offer, right? You're saying that, um, you want to create this win-win street or this win-win connection. You're saying, do the research. Right. But what is it that makes that okay? Pitching's one thing. Closing is a different thing. You know, you yes. can pitch all day, but if you can if you're a if you're a batter, you get up to the, the batting box and you never get a get a hit, well, guess what? You're just a you're a batter that, that can't connect. You know, so so how do you get the close? Okay, so well, a couple things. <clears throat> Another thing that you touched on is pitching itself, like it, you know. I wouldn't be able to do like those pitch sessions where people get up in front of all of the producers and they practice their pitch and then they get notes on it. I, I would be terrible. You would never know I was good at pitching. Um, I would be terrible. I would get up there. I'd be nervous. I'd forget what, you know, and every time anybody gives me their pitch, it never sells me. Like every time they go, oh, look, I've been really working on my pitch. You know, here's my pitch. What do you think? And they give me their pitch and it's memorized and it's 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 like memorized lines that they've that they've learned to say a certain way that they learned in some workshop this is how you pitch and what i want people to know is that these pitch sessions are not what you think and if you walk in there and you just do that you're going to get Thank you so much. Thanks for coming in. It was so great to meet you. Okay, see ya. Because nobody, that's not a connection. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody cares whether your pitch is perfect. You've got your lines memorized just right. What they want is to get excited about your project and about you as a person and to believe in you. So you just have to, I mean, like, you know, you typically are given this really short window to do a pitch. You know, you got five minutes. What do you got? You know, um, the, the worst thing you can do is give the exact same pitch every single time. You have to remember kind of your key things. 
like, you know, don't forget to mention this. Don't forget to mention the title, <laughs> you know, don't forget, uh, you know, sort of basically what it's about and this sort of key phrase that, you know, you kind of have in your mind, you know, um, you know, re remember those kind of basics, but they can be all out of order and different because what you have to be ready for is what's different in every single one. Because sometimes you walk in there and they do go, all right, you got five minutes. What do you got? Mm. And other times they go, hi, it's so nice to meet you. Would you like some coffee? Um, okay, great. So, oh, can you believe the weather out there? Right. And that, so you have to, and then you can't be like, oh, uh, let me tell you, let me tell you my, my pitch. <laughs> you know, you have to right. be willing, you have to be ready to just roll with it and be yourself. And it's okay if you're a little awkward. They're not going to not be interested in your project because you're a little awkward, right? Most people who go in and pitch to them are nervous or there's some kind of, so if you can just go in and connect with them, that's the best thing. And if they're open to that by, and they will let you know, like I said, by starting the conversation with something about the weather or saying, I read, you know, I loved what you sent me. You know, I read up about you. You seem so interesting. And, you know, I loved, I loved that. And I, I loved, you know, what you sent in the email, blah, 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 blah. And then you can say, oh yeah, well, you know, let me tell you about that. You know, this is how I shot that. This is what I did with that. And then you're just two people connecting mm. and never have to, you never ever have to pull out that pitch that you memorized. Um, and the more you have something memorized, the more you're going to think you got to pull that out of your back pocket and you better use that. You know, what you got to do is walk in knowing your project inside right. and out so you can answer every single question that is asked of you and, um, exactly you know any question just be ready for the curveballs be ready for absolutely anything but just go in there as a human being ready to connect you know and if they do say give you, you know you got five minutes give it to me try to do it different every time yeah you know what i mean but the the main thing is they want to connect with you they want to see that you're really passionate about your project they're yeah. looking for passionate people so if you go in and you have your thing all memorized you're not going to seem like a passionate person about a passionate filmmaker you're going to seem like somebody who memorized some lines right, right? so they're going to be like i don't know i guess i mean the story sounds okay but whatever i mean i've heard a million of them today and lots of them sounded okay but these few sounded great so those are the people i'm calling you know right um so your pitch may be fine, but you're unlikely to get a call back about it or anything because you, you know, you, you didn't show them how passionate you were. So you just basically, that's all a pitch is, is sharing your passion, you know, with as many people as will listen to it. Right. And then closing is a different thing. Closing, like closing, um, it's really important to not just say, okay, thank you. Bye. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what you say at the end is really important, which is depending on who you're pitching to. So if you're pitching to money people and you want money <laughs> and you know, you want them to write you a check, then you need to be brave enough at the end of the meeting to go, okay, so I have the paperwork right here for you to sign. I'm ready to take a check from you. Um, you know, what would you like to do next? And then they can say, well, can I have a night to sleep on it? Or, or they can say, you know, I'm going to need to think it over a little bit. 
you have to know, you have to, at the end of the meeting, have a next step plan. So you have to say, um, okay, so then can I give you a call at 10 a.m. tomorrow? How's that? Um, or can I, you know, uh, can we plan to meet again in two days? Same place, you know, same time. Um, whatever you have to, you have to close each meeting with something that that uh, that that allows for a follow up, right? And if you're if it's if you're talking about pitching a project, you can say, when can I expect to hear back from you? Mm. You know, That's or hey, do you think? that this is something you guys are actually interested in mm, yeah. because they're often very honest. Yeah. If you don't ask, they might not tell you, they might just go, okay, thanks. Nice to meet you. But if they say, okay, thanks. Nice to meet you. And you say, so when can I hear, when, when can I expect to hear back from you? Or do you think that this is something you're actually interested in? Then they can go, you know, honestly, no, like this is not the budget level we normally do. This just doesn't seem like it's a good fit for us. Right. Um, you know, and then, you know, walking out the door and you can say, you can be gracious and say, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, can you think of anyone that might be interested in, in this? Or if, if you can't, you know, and you think of someone down the line, let me know. And then you can do follow-ups with them, you know, every six months, here's what's happening with this project. Oh, and now I have this project going on, you know, so what I hear from you is you have to be a bit ballsy and forward, honestly, um, in order to close deals because, I mean, you know, being, being kind of uh, soft or reclusive or any of that really doesn't, you know, it doesn't help you to, um, you know, to, to, to kind of connect, make the connection point or, or get to your goal. One thing I'd like to um, kind of um, talk about a, a moment is, Greg introduced you to a lot of those relationships in Ocala. Um, Greg, if you can come in and just kind of explain that whole thing, because I think that's interesting in and of itself. Greg had the film festival there that turned on a lot of the um, business owners and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the locals there that got them excited about the film industry again after it had kind of fizzled, you know, some time back and kind of got them, you know, reengaged or reignited, if you will. Um, and then you told, you know, you told Greg, Hey, look, these folks want, you know, are interested in making my film there or this or that and the other, you know, Hey, I, I like to have a place to stay or how can I go now and make these connections? One of the big things that I think we filmmakers, indie filmmakers do not do well is we don't fully appreciate and, um, exercise the relationships that we have, you know? And yeah. so, you know, we, we have tons of relationships. We have tons of friendships. We have tons of connections, but so many of us are so afraid to pull the trigger, to ask for the help, to say, hey, look, I'm trying to make a project. Who can I talk to? Who would be interested in helping me? And that's what you did so well with Greg, but that's what Greg did for you, is he yeah. turned you on to all of these different people. And, you know, I often say your network is your net worth right? So your, your relationships, your contacts, your friendships, your, you know, all of these folks that these associations, you mentioned, you know, business associations and all these other things. You didn't know any of that when you went down there. You didn't know, you didn't know who those folks were, you know, but Greg made the introduction for you. Greg, come in, if you will, and maybe kind of explain how that kind of helped to lay the groundwork for, um, and to raise the money for this feature, this wonderful feature film that she shot 
and then later got um, in, got picked up by a distributor and got international uh, exposure as well. Um, boy, it's a huge question in a way. I, so I have a very a long, strange, and kind of wonderful relationship with Ocala. <clears throat> when I the first show I did there was in 1990, so this is my 30th year of of knowing those those folks, and I went there to do a show and just kind of fell in love with the people in the town much like Ann did. And um, I just took off and decided to go driving around and come to find out Silver Springs is in Ocala. And I was like, what? I knew Silver Springs, but I'd never heard of Ocala. When I was a child, my family took us to Silver Springs because it was such a huge attraction. And we almost moved to Silver Springs Shores in 1974. So it was kind of odd to go, oh my God, I almost lived here. How this is so weird. I didn't even know. And so there's always kind of been some sort of alchemy there for me. But I, I will say that I think the trick to this really too is that you must tend the garden well. Most people want to go in and till the soil. They want to break it up. They'll even plant the seeds. But a lot of times they'll walk away. Well, you, you can't. Once you've started that process, you need to do what Ann said. You need to follow up. You need to tend your garden well because you want to be able to go back there whether it's to, to say, look, it didn't work out and not have them be hostile or to go back and say, let's celebrate. This was a huge hit. Let's do it again. So there's so many reasons why you must tend the garden well. And so <clears throat> I'm very picky about those relationships. I'd gotten to know Anne. And to be honest with you, the only reason I was willing to do what I did is because I knew that Anne would tend the garden well. Because you have to remember that if she hadn't, then I have to go fix my britches too. So I was very careful about trying to, to channel her to the right people and in the right order, because I knew that if she got to this person, this person, this person first, they would spread the word in a way that would be positive and helpful and so on and so forth. So, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of building a network for somebody, but you need to have, you need to know who's going to respond to that person well. Right. From the start. And let me tell you, those emails were also avoid the following people mm. for whatever reasons. Sometimes it's, I know that they're already, you know, we forget that the that inve investors have what we call investor fatigue. So I knew who was already suffering investor fatigue in the community. Don't go there because you're shaking a tree that we're kind of holding on to gently because we need to keep the, and that's the other part for me that's tough. I can't, as a film festival director, look like I'm favoring one filmmaker over the other. And I also have to protect those trees that are raining down the money that keep the festival running. So there's many sides to all that and understanding those relationships and making sure you plug into those people the right way and so on and so forth. And, and I think that that's another piece of the film festival puzzle that a lot of filmmakers don't do well. They come there to party. They, you know, it's about everything but building relationships. And you never know in those towns that you're in what grant money is there or whatever. There's, a, there's so many things that, and they spend their time doing all the things that really aren't helpful. Right. Now, you know what? That's actually a really, really good point. One that I'm really glad that you brought up because I wanted to say that and I kind of forgot or kind of gotten away from it. But which is that, and she said she went down the first year, and you guys had mentioned that there was some sort of snafu, technical snafu or something like that, and then um, there's an opportunity for her to come down again the second year. But the thing is, is that when she came down the first year, 
she made contacts, she made relationships, which then, as she said, she now had friends and people that she could call on when she came down the second time, the second year, you know? So I guess in my mind, that helped also to, um, it, it wasn't even just planting the seeds, as you say, it was tilling the garden. It's going back and nurturing those relationships to say, hey, look, folks are asking me about shooting a film here, about making my movie here. What do you think about that? You know, what, what should I do? Um, you know, I know Greg, Greg is saying I should talk to this person, that person. You know, how should I approach that? Is, does that sound about right, Ann? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, do, I think, uh, you know, tilling the garden is a great way, is, is a great analogy. And uh, yeah, it's all about taking care of relationships, building relationships, taking care of relationships. And I think it's probably true in every industry. I mean, I think it's, it's you know, it's probably really more of a life thing. I mean, this is the industry that that I practice it in, but I think it's probably true in every industry that it's about making connections you know, building goodwill uh, um, among other other people so that, you know, stepping up for other people, you know, I mean, obviously, if Greg ever needed anything, you know, I would be stepping up for him. And, you know, and he knows that, you know, and we, so, you know, there's like an, like I was saying about the give and take, you know, it's not even necessarily the, that the barter is in the moment where I'm giving you something right now and you're giving me something right now. But the understanding that we're gonna have each other's backs, you know, is really priceless. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. Recently, I read an article about student enrollment in traditional colleges is way down and online course enrollment is through the roof. With podcasts like this, you not only get free developmental information, you also get access to resources you wouldn't have otherwise. But if you really want to take your film game to the next level, you should consider taking my online masterclass. It's 42 online video modules for more than 50 hours of self-study complete with a full suite of resources. It's also live coaching and instruction from me and other industry professionals. People say, but Durante, why are you doing this? And I tell them, it's just my way of giving back. So if you're serious about wanting to level up your film game, register for the free informational webinar today at theexpertprocess.com. Again, if you want to write a script, make a movie, sell a movie, or just learn how to get into the industry, this webinar is for you. I want to keep the groups fairly small. So sign up today because space is truly limited. Go to theexpertprocess.com and register today. Now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely true. And, you know, I have to safeguard my relationships. So I can't do it for every filmmaker. And Anne left an impression. I knew her well to know that Anne will do good business. And that's another thing that filmmakers forget. Everything that you do you're a business. You have to always do good business. I preach it to actors all the time. I, I, this has come up recently, and I really love it because I'm, well, I'm not going to go there because it will tip something off that I shouldn't say. But I'm amazed by the people who want to hang their hat on something. As an artist, I think that is a very dangerous mentality. I am not interested in hanging my hat because in my mind, the moment I hang my hat, I'm done. 
I'm looking for more hats. I'm looking for more interesting hats. I want many, many hats. And that happens with projects sometimes. And, and the reason I bring that up is because I think we get tunnel visioned in that project. We're so protective of it. We're, we put everything in it. We believe this is it. That could be really bad for you. You need to remember to treat that like a living, breathing thing that needs the kind of care that is going to continue to grow. It is going to give back rewards, and you want to tend all those relationships. You want to tend even the relationship with your project with great care. Right. Because that, I, I hope for every artist that you don't get to the project you want to hang your hat on until the day you're dead. Right. Yeah. The minute we do that, the minute we hang our hat on something, we slow down or we stop. I'm done. Well, I did it. Look at Clint Eastwood. I mean, he's still going at it. I mean, you know, he's what, 90 years old or something yeah. like that? Yeah. yeah. But I knew that Anne would take good care of those people, and I knew those people would respond well to Anne. They already had. But, you know, when you give someone your name, it's just like there are agents or different parts of the country that I have a specific thing that I will tell people, write this on the outside of the envelope, and they will open it. If it's not worded that way, they'll know that you're cheating. Yeah, you mm. might have been on set with me, but I did not recommend you. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. So all of that sounds great, honestly. Um, I think this is really important information that a lot of first-time filmmakers, a lot of young filmmakers, a lot of inexperienced filmmakers, because, you know, you don't have to be young to be inexperienced. You don't have to be a first-time filmmaker and be 26. You know, you might be a 56-year-old yeah. filmmaker or something, or 72-year-old filmmaker as far as that goes, you know. It's the, wor the world's wide open. So, um, in saying all that, uh, to step forward, so Greg, you made these relationships. You, as you said, you safeguarded those relationships. You then, you saw, you saw something in Anne that you said, you know what, you would be willing to put your name out there. You'd be willing to stick your neck out on the line for her. But it goes above and beyond all that because, as we both know, you know, once you put your name out there for somebody, you know, they can crap on it real easy and screw up your relationships. So you really have to, you do have to safeguard those things. But what I will say is just in my own um, understanding and um, knowledge of you, Anne, and what you've been able to do and what you're doing, right? One thing that I know in my own personal experience in dealing with the American film market or what they call the AFM. I've gone twice now, you know, I had a lot of um, positive experience. Uh, the first go around, second go around, it was good too, but not as good as the first time. But one of the things that I know for a fact is when you go to the AFM and if you have any success, that is not arbitrary. It doesn't just happen. That means you've done your homework. You know what you're doing. You have a plan when you go through that door. You know, when you step through those doors at the lows, you have a strategy. Now, what I like to, to, to kind of advance forward now is speak to that because you were telling me earlier that your film, um, and it's not in front of me here, but your film got a, um, got a you landed a distributor, uh, Gravitas, I think you said it was, you landed a distributor, that's your domestic distribution, right? Following year, you were able to pick up a sales agent for international distribution. Why don't you speak to those things for a moment, if you will? And Greg, um, if you will, you can chime in too. And just let folks know uh, how, you know, how, I guess, prepared Anne was for that. So let's do this. Greg, you mentioned, you, you tell, you help the audience understand 
how uh, prepared she was. And then, Anne, you can speak to that after. That way we can have a little bit of shake to the conversation. <laughs> sure. So um, one of the things I'd said to you before is that, you know, I was really impressed that when, when Anne got ready to do this, she did her homework. I mean, I, she worked hard. I saw it. And um, she really learned frontwards and backwards what the what was the shape of distribution platforms at that time? What did they need from you? What could you expect from them? What you know, et cetera. And so it was that was part of the reason that I was willing to say, I absolutely will you can use my name, go do whatever. Um, because I knew that she had done the due diligence to take care of those investors, because that dis distribution piece, that's where you take care of those investor investors ultimately. If you don't know how to, to work those deals and so on and so forth, or and you get you can I mean you can get out there and lose your butt in a hurry because you signed something you should never have signed, and there will never be any hope of returning any money to yourself or the investor. Um, so I was just really impressed with the homework that she was doing, and I mean it took a couple, it was probably a year or so of her digging in hard and really learning little things like changing the title so that you're always rising to the top on uh, Netflix or wherever you might land because a lot of it's done alphabetically when you're going through a menu. So you want to try and you never know when you're that thing that go, oh, well, that's interesting. I never would have seen that otherwise. Right. So there was a tremendous amount of effort and learning that went into that. So that made me feel confident doing that. So That's awesome. Yeah, and so go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, I was, I was just going to say. I think that the key is that you you have to always be learning, right? You're, right? It doesn't matter how many movies you've made. It doesn't how matter how long you've been in the industry, and that's probably true of all industries. But you know, you have to be willing to learn, and you can't just sort of give up at any point because it's something you don't understand or you don't know or you've never done before. You have to go. Okay, here's a new challenge. I don't know what this is. And so I, I better go learn about it. And you just set up as many phone calls as you can with people you know who might be able to give you some insight. Um, you read everything on the internet. You listened, you, you know, you listen to, to podcasts and, you know, and whatever. And, you know, get the information that you need. And that's what I did with that piece, uh, me and my producing partner. And, you know, we would just constantly, you know, call each other. Hey, guess what I just learned? Okay, so that's why the what what we were learned last week didn't make sense is because we were missing this piece. Oh, okay, all right. So that changes our strategy. So, you know, you have to be constantly changing, and it's okay that you don't know everything, you know, all along the way. Like, you know, you don't give up because you don't know everything. You just go try to learn it. Um, and, you know, Greg touched on something, which is that I think people don't realize when you're producing something, how much time and energy that it takes and no one else is going to do it for you. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I really didn't sleep for years. Like, I mean, my husband got used to me, you know, finishing up work around four o'clock in the morning sleeping for a couple of hours, getting up around six or seven, you know, I mean, just, you have to be willing to be on it all the time. So I will tell you that has been my own personal experience as well. 
Um, you don't, you tend, well, okay, let's put it like this. If it's your project, if it's your baby, then you tend not to have nine to five hours dealing with trying to, you know, trying to get that thing done, whatever that is, you know, uh, it just doesn't really work like that. And it doesn't have that sort of, um, it doesn't have that sort of linear uh, development. Now, yeah. you know, because it's, it's kind of, um, I don't know, I guess the best way to say it, it's kind of back and forth, you know, you, 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 and then there's, there's the other side to it, which is the motivation because the motivation isn't always there. Sometimes your motivation falls off. You know, in fact, I just had this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. I was like, man, look, uh, I need you to help pick me up right now, bro, because yeah. my motivation is off. You know, there are just different personal things going on in my life. That's kind of got me off, you know, off tilt a bit. And so I need your help, man. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly giving in to you. And so now it's your time, bro. He's cracking up. He's like, so if this is you being off, then I hate to see you on. I'm like, well, yeah, but <laughs> you know, you know what you can do, you know? So it's like, yeah, I mean, I get that. I, I can appreciate that point. I'm just saying like, I know I'm not doing all that I could be doing. Granted, yes, uh, there are these other circumstances that only make sense that would, you know, it would cause someone to be you know, not doing what they really could be doing. But the point being is, uh, granted, you know, COVID-19 is... <laughs> I was just going to say, we're in a pandemic, so I think you can give yourself a little break. <laughs> uh, so you sound like him, stop. <laughs> but but my, point, my point being is that when you know that you can do more, right, if you know yourself and you know that you can do more, sometimes maybe we you know, maybe we push ourselves probably a bit more than maybe others would, you know, but when it comes to your project and your passion, and typically your project is a passion project, right? You know, you have to do that because if you don't, it doesn't get done. It's just not going to happen. Right. It's yeah. just not going to happen unless you make it happen and you have to just get up and make it happen. And if you have to schedule it in, then you schedule it in. You know, right. if you have to say, hey, you know, I got off work at five, I got to feed the kids, I got to do this, I got to do that, um, you know, but from seven to nine, I'm going to, you know, do this and, you know, um, you, yeah, you, it won't happen otherwise. No one else, they may be all the nicest people in the world and they might, might all be rooting for you, but no one else is going to make your project happen. Yeah, definitely. So at the AFM, you, now a moment ago, you were talking about pitching and then we we're also talking about closing. How did you go about getting your, uh, your distributor? Well, so the thing is going to AFM, a lot of people go there without a movie mm -hmm. finished, without a feature film. Yep. And which is also fine. Um, but um, it's a whole different world when you have a feature film done and ours when we went was completely finished mm -hmm. so it wasn't just in the can you know we had just finished post uh everything it was it was done okay. so it was ready you know um to go and that you're in a whole different world when you go to afm like that because really at its core afm is you know it's a, a film market yeah. so people bring movies and people other people buy them yes um if you're going with a movie pitch about an idea that you have there are going to be some companies that 
you know, might still be willing to listen. A lot of them will still be willing to listen to your pitch and maybe they'll want to team up with you, you know, or something if you have, you know, some name attached to it or something. But um, otherwise, you're more likely to just come back with having met some really interesting, great people, which is also useful. But, you know, AFM is, so, so once you have a movie that's completed, going to AFM is a whole different ball game because you've basically already sent them a screener before you have your meetings. You've either sent them a screener or you've sent them the trailer. Um, wait, 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 let, well, let me, let me, inter let me interject there. Okay. Yeah. So you have sent them a screener if you've done your homework because yeah. see you, you take that for granted. But most, I would say dare, I dare say most filmmakers don't yeah. do that. Meaning that um, when you go and you register for AFM, yep. you are on the platform Sanando, which yep. then in turn, if you understand Sanando, if you do any bit of research on Sanando, what you learn is those, um, those, just those buyers are all posted there, right? Yep. You can then go into their, uh, their websites, their portfolios, their profiles, their bios, and you can learn about them. You can do your research to figure out where you should go and uh, pitch or who you should take your film to, right? And then as you're saying, well, you can then make those advanced setups of, of those meetings, which then what you're going to do is send your screener. You're going to get that, make that contact and send your screener to whomever that person is. That's the, the gatekeeper before you get to AFM. Now, well, I only wanted to say that because you make the assumption that that's all general and natural and yeah, no, yeah. it's not. <laughs> okay. And I just realized, yeah, that like what, what some people might not know is that really producing is all about spreadsheets. Yes. Pr Producing yeah. is really just about spreadsheets and communicating. Yes, that's right. That's right. But um, yeah, so what we did for AFM is we created a spreadsheet mm -hmm. um, of all the companies that were going to be there. Um, and then we went through and did a first pass of, okay, we're not going to Disney. We're not going to, you know, like, like all the ones that were just clearly obviously out of our league and not the right right fit mm -hmm. then um okay uh these guys are all overseas and we're looking for domestic so those guys are all gone um then once you narrow it down to okay you know here's you know a list of 500 companies that i think you know maybe could work you have to take the time to click on every website yep. <laughs> to do the research and to go hmm this one might work. And then you have to try to find out the people that work there yep. and go, which one should I reach out to? Because you don't want to just reach out to anybody attached to that, to that company. Right. Because if you reach out to the wrong person or they're like, Hey, I only, you know, I'm only interested in movies for Taiwan or I'm only, you know, I, I don't do, I'm not a buyer. Um, you know, you're wasting their time and your own time. Right. So you have to do all that research and create your spreadsheet and then go into Sanando and reach out directly to those people and then see if they are interested in a screener. And you're basically kind of doing an email pitch. Yes. So your first pitch is basically in an email. And in that email, you're basically saying, here's what, here's what I have. Here's how long it is. Here's what we shot on. 
here's who's in it. Um, here's the genre. Would you like to see a screener? I'd love to meet you. We'll be at AFM. Mm -hmm. And so once you've done all of that work, it's not that hard to get meetings with companies that are interested in your, your genre, as long as your product looks good. Mm -hmm. So, because the next step is they're going to say, yeah, we'll take, we'll look at the screener or yeah, we'll look at the trailer. You know, so that, I, that, I think I attach the trailer to everything. Yeah. So, so that first reach out is almost like an electronic one sheet. Yes, exactly. You, know? you, you can have a one sheet. I think I did have a one sheet attached yeah. um, to the, those initial reach outs. And also the, the trailer was attached. And so they're already getting a good solid picture of yeah. the project, right? Yeah. Before they respond. So the ones that respond and say, we want to see a screener, um, you know, then you go, then some of them will go through various stages. So some of them will go through <clears throat> where they have kind of this A group that goes through the screeners, right? All the screeners they've requested goes through them and says, nah, we don't want that one. Nah, we don't want that one and narrows it down. Then there's a B group that goes through it and goes, nah, we don't want that one. Nah, you know, whatever. And, and if it gets through to the C group and the C group, says yeah we like it then you get a meeting at afm right so some of them the bigger companies are like that the smaller companies may not be they may be fine just seeing your trailer and saying hey it looks interesting we like it come on in and meet with us you know um but most of them will want to know that your film is completely done sound everything done sound titles color you know uh everything is done and it's ready to go um, or at least is close. But the problem with it being close is that you never really want to show them an unfinished version. And they oh, will no. always sure. ask, they will always ask, and they will always say they can see past the issues. Mm -hmm. They they can't because they do not know what you're going to do That's right. to, to finish off the film. So if you've got sound issues in it, they don't know you've got a good sound person sure. that's going to fix right. all of that even if you say that unless you you're throwing out the a name like you know of a sound guy that did some you know huge movie or something other than that you know they don't they don't know so you can't send them an unfinished um product right. so you know so it's tricky um it's tricky now if you have an amazing trailer and the movie isn't all the way done, but you did sound, light, color, you know, everything in the trailer looks perfect. Yeah. Um, then you can say, hey, I'm not going to show you a screener, you yeah. know, because <laughs> I know yeah. better. But oh, you yeah. can look at our trailer. You can look at our trailer to see what quality it's going to be. And I can tell you that the movie is this many minutes long. Sure. And it's in post. And they may be interested enough by looking at the trailer to go, you know what? We want to meet with you. Yeah. And then they may say to you, you know, we love this. We love the trailer. We love everything about this. We love you. We're really interested in this. Reach out as soon as that thing is done. Yeah. And then you've got somebody on the line waiting for you. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. And you go, okay, let's go finish post and get it to them. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't think, I don't think it's wrong to go to AFM without a finished film either. Just right. because you you learn a lot, and you, you make meet relationships. A lot of people you build relationships, yeah. 
you know, you get practice pitching stuff. You get, you, you sort of, that's where you really get that understanding of this is just people meeting people. Sure. Oh yeah. Well, so my experience there was the first year we went, I, my film wasn't complete. It was close. Yeah. Um, and my, well, we had an ex an expected delivery date, which blew up um, for a number of reasons, some personal, some business. Um, but the irony is I had all of this interest in the film and we had some, you know, soft commitments and stuff like that. And we couldn't deliver on the delivery date and, you know, everything blew up in our face. And that's the kind of thing where I learned after the fact that if you go to AFM and going back to those setting those expectations, right? If you give the wrong set of expectations to potential buyers, it just bites you in the butt. You know, yeah. so that's why I would say if you can have your film completely in the can and done yeah. before you go, you're much better off than going mm -hmm. and not knowing exactly for sure when your film is going to get done. Because even, even though you think it may be done at a certain time, trust and believe me, it's, it's going to be a scenario of where, um, what is that? Uh, is it not Pavlov's law. What is the law? Um, Murphy's law where anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Go wrong. Trust, me, trust me when I tell you that happens it's it bit me in the butt harder than i can even remotely want to tell you but again it's you know everything's a learning lesson everything is an experience you know it is and also also with those experiences where everything goes you know all wrong and everything unless you've personally offended somebody it can also be fixed so, you know, um, like human beings aren't like, they're not going to remember you unless you just were a jerk, you know, mm -hmm. like if you were just horrible to them personally, they're going to remember that. Right. But some of these things that where we've made mistakes along the way and you do, it's okay to go back a year later or whatever, say, Hey, I met you at AFM. Don't mention the blow up. <laughs> met you at AFM. You were very interested. The project's done now. You know, I'd love to show it to you. Um, you know what I mean? So as long as the blow up isn't, and I, I'm, you know, I'm talking in general terms, not about your particular situation. Yeah, yeah, know, of course. That one included. But as long as you weren't really a hor you know, really horrible to anybody, people don't remember you as much as you are going to remember them. Like they're, they're yeah. meeting a million filmmakers. Yeah. They wouldn't know you from Adam if they walked by you on the street. You know, they don't, they'll remember your project usually if you've pitched to them. Right. But, yeah. but they're not, but they're not necessarily even going to have, like, even if they're left with kind of a bad taste in their mouth, a year later, they're not going to remember why. And if you say it's done, you want to see a screener, they, you know, they're probably going to go, oh yeah, let's see that. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, as long as it isn't personal. Well, so in, in my experience, and that's actually everything you're saying is, is right. But in my experience was what I learned is there's a window that each one, each one of these markets has a window, you know? And so these buyers have a specific um, a budget set aside for that specific um, yeah. market, you know? Yeah. So they come to AFM, they've got a budget and they've got a timeline. So by, the end of January, that money is spent, or by mid-January, that money spent for AFM because then you have, you know, Berlin coming up in February. You know, then next thing you know, you've got Con coming up. Then next year's, you know, so what happened in my case was we missed our um, our delivery date window, which then in turn caused me not to be able to access the the money they had allocated for AFM. 
So by the time we got our film finished, it wasn't until close to March. By that time, you've already gotten past the AFM window. You're already into and probably through the, um, the Berlin uh, uh, window. Now you're approaching Cannes, and they're just like, hey, man, you know, we're sorry, but, you know, it was an interesting film. Let us know about your next one. You know, they were nice about it, you know, and they're like, hey, and, and I kept a lot of those relationships warm or, you know, open, if you will. But I didn't have a next project. We were literally just finishing that one. So come AFM the following year, which I went back. Granted, that's why I say, you know, I still had some positive experience because we were able to get a distributor or a couple of distributors actually, but they weren't the top tier. They weren't the ones that we had the relationships of the year before, you know. So it's well, a yeah, exactly. But also you never know. I mean, they can buy films in between and it's possible that when they, when they saw your screener, I mean, sometimes they're interested, but when they actually see your screener, they just go, eh, no, we're just yeah, not, that interested. you know, for whatever reason. I mean, true, you true. know, they may think it's going to go a certain direction because of the way the, 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 um, trailer was, trailer was yeah, yeah. or whatever. And it, and it didn't quite, or it didn't capture them enough in the first 10 minutes or the, the person just watching the screeners wasn't that into it you know you never know yeah. so you know you just never know i i think it can be a million things and we assume all the times when it, whenever we're rejected as human beings we make all kinds of we fill in all kinds of holes we make all kinds of assumptions I was horrible. I, they probably didn't like how nervous I was at the beginning of the meeting. They probably didn't like this. You know, they probably, like we as human beings fill in all the reasons and you never know what's going on on the other side. I mean, we know that as producers, you know, actors always assume, oh, I guess I, I guess I was, I guess I was bad. You know, I, I, I wasn't good, you know, in my audition. And you might have blown them away, but for some reason they couldn't give you the the part, you know, and actors tend to, you know, then assume that it means that they're bad or it's whatever, you know, so we have to just, we have to keep, uh, I think, our assumptions in check, you sure. know, that we sure. know why somebody rejected us or because the biggest thing you're going to get in this industry is rejection. The yes. most frequent thing you're going to get is the word no and a rejection and you really don't know why you don't sometimes they'll tell you but you know most of the time you don't know why you're being rejected and so you just have to know you're going to get rejected a lot you're not going to know why and you can't take it personally yeah oh yeah you know what that this is exactly why i preach this i mean i preach it to actors but it's all of us every creative person even just business people look the one thing you can you have some control of in this process is whether or not you walk in that room prepared and you do good work every time yeah stay out of the other lanes just know that i'm just going to go in there and i'm going to do my very best work every time i can't tell you how many times i've been cast a year three years later because they and i'll get we loved you we just didn't listen when i did dawson's creek way back but when i did dawson's creek this was really interesting because i wanted to do an episode of dawson's creek before my mother passed away she had been ill i thought you know my niece had gotten her hooked on dawson's creek and as luck would have it, I finally did get an episode, a really good episode, but my mom passed six weeks before. It happens. But point being, 
I had gone and auditioned several times and actors talk, you know, like, oh, you'll have to do at least five or six auditions before they'll ever cast you. Well, I got in twice the season before and then radio silence. So I thought, wow, okay. Mm. I, somewhere I'd not get, I'm right. not connecting. Me this too. isn't working. Yeah. And, and it's what you talked about. I'm not connecting somehow. And so I went back in, uh, but, well, right before the, the audition where I got the role, the agent, my agent and I were talking, and I called her and said, look, what can I do? What am I not doing? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, help me. And she said, it's not that. And she said, in fact, they have said to us, we really like him. We want to get him on here, but we don't want to throw him a crappy role. Mm. We keep waiting for, well, but then you don't know what that writing is going to look like. And if a role that suits you is ever going to come along, you just don't know those things. So I felt so fortunate when I walked in and literally I auditioned at like four o'clock in the afternoon in Wilmington, North Carolina. And my agent called me at eight 30 the next morning and said, you got it. She said, I, I can't believe how fast they made that decision and reached out to us. You just don't know. But the, the thing one is, thing you know is if you're prepared and if you're doing good work. Yeah. But even then, even when you come in and you screw up sometimes, I mean, I've had people come in and audition for me and they're so nervous and I know from the minute they walk in that I'm going to hire them. And I don't care that their audition isn't very good. Like, I know they can act. I already know they can act. I've already seen their work. I've seen their, you know, I, I've, I've seen other stuff that they've done or whatever. And I go, okay, this is somebody who doesn't do very well in auditions, is a little bit nervous today. It's having an off day for whatever reason but they've got the look, they've got the sense, they've got the thing that I'm looking for. I want that person. I, I don't care, you know, like, I don't care whether you come in and you, you fumble your lines and you do the, the dreaded start over, you know, <laughs> like right. or some horrible thing that they go walk out of there going, Oh, well, I just screwed that whole thing up. I, I did. I, I not only was nervous, but then I asked for a start over, which you never do you know, of all things, you know, and they're walking out of there thinking they screwed the whole thing up and I'm going, okay, where can I put that person? Cause right. you know what I mean? And you know, so it's both, you go in there, you do the best that you can. You well, that's what I mean. Idea. Yeah. Here's my thing. I don't think that knowing your lines is doing good work. I'll be honest right. with you. That's yeah, the yeah. least you can do. It's yeah. how you handle the room. It's what you do in that room that is about doing good work. If you goof, you don't make excuses. You don't make everybody miserable. You don't take the energy down. That's the good work part is you go in there as prepared as you can and you, but you stay in that place of I'm just in here in the room with you and we're, we're getting to know each other and, and letting it just happen. Disconnecting. Yeah. That's what I mean by you go in and you do good work every time. Making excuses is never good work. Making people uncomfortable is never good work. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, Yeah, but I think human beings tend to take things personally and actors particularly tend to take things personally. And it breaks my heart as a former actor and as a producer director because I try so hard. I'll call people and go, you're amazing. I just love you, and, uh, but I'm not going to give you this part. And then they're like, oh, okay. They think I'm lying, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm not lying. Like, I'm not lying. I just for all kinds of reasons that are out of my control or that are out of your control for sure. Right, right. This part isn't going to happen. But you know, and then they, but actors go, you know, they they walk home going, oh yeah, I I sucked, and she just didn't want to tell me I sucked, and whatever, you know. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say this too is. Um, a lot in how they handle that rejection 
can play into your next decision and, you know, even yes. wanting to cast them because, yes. you know, I, I've, <laughs> I've experienced that on a couple of occasions where the, you know, the reaction was so horrible. I'm that like, you cast them. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, dude, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't cast you if somebody paid me a million dollars, man. I mean, this is ridiculous. Oh, especially if they get pissy or, or mad at you, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, I don't have to take this time to even talk to you right, right. now. Taking this time to explain something to you and you're going to get all pissy with me. It's like, right. and that's going to make me want to hire you next time? No. So, right. you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Or I'll tell you something else I had happen. Uh, I've had it happen a few times, but in particular, I'm just thinking about this one particular incident. Um, it's when you, okay, I'll explain this to young people in particular all the time millennials i'm like look man you have to be coachable because if you're not coachable then i can't do anything with you right. you know and so when you're talking about actors you know it's like i try to explain especially usually after the shoot because once we're already through it then you're not gonna you can't go and mess it up intentionally <laughs> but after the shoot it's like okay maybe i'll take the moment to give them a little advice or take a moment to give them a little, um, you know, understanding about how they probably could have performed better or could have done something better or something like that, you know, or just maybe just um, things about their profession, lack of professionalism, like showing up late or, yeah. you know, or coming in and instead of rehearsing your lines or reading your lines, you know, on the phone, on Facebook or mm -hmm. Twitter or IG and all yeah. sorts of stuff, you know, not yeah. mentally preparing yourself, you know, things like that, right? Little things that set you apart as an actor yeah. Um, or not making the director and the producer and the line producer's job difficult, Yeah. you know, things like that. We yeah. all have difficult or um, personal things that happen. I can appreciate that, but you don't want to be a diva. You know, you don't want to be that dreaded person that we have to dance around. Because if you are, odds of you getting, you know, more work, especially if you're not, you're not the main talent, if you're not already established, right. then the odds of you getting more work are slim, you know? Yeah. So those are the sorts of things that I, I like to try to take the time to help inexperienced actors understand, but I also have come to learn that those things aren't really welcome so much because no one really likes to be critiqued. Yeah. Does that sound well, and right? something, yeah. And you know, Durante, it's so funny. You said that about being late. This is something I've finally trained my actors at UTEP into. First of all, this generation has, has not learned the, if you're running late, let them know. Mm -hmm. I don't understand this thing now of you don't communicate that I'm running late, I will be there. Partly because it, what disrupts the set more than anything is the wondering, are they coming? Are they dead? Huh? Where, right. What? Right. Give me some idea yeah. and then I can try to work around it. Right. Yeah. But here's the other thing. And I used to have this habit. Oh my God, I look back and I think about the, the kindness of some people along the way who would just smile and go. And I'm thinking now I understand that you were saying they're going, shut up and get to work. If you're running late, don't talk about it. Just get there and go to work right. immediately. I don't want to hear your whole story about the traffic. Yep. And then you lost the heel on your shoe and then your cell phone was, no, uh, you're taking yep. even more of our time. Yep. Exactly. And helping yep. people understand that a good professional person, if you're running late, look, it happens. Be sure you let them know. And when you arrive, get straight into work mode. Yep. You can tell the story at lunch break. 
that's a huge one. People don't realize how big a deal that is that, look, you've already put us behind and now you want to come in and chat us up about whatever that was. Yeah. And the other thing is you'll just keep that energy going. And that is not the energy of that set or that story or that character, unless it says I'm running late and I'm frantic and tell them a big stupid story. Don't do it. <laughs> Greg, do you know, uh, Barry Piacente? Does that ring a bell for you? No, I don't think so. Yeah, Barry's an actor here, and uh, I assume you, you, I, I would tell you if you see him, you probably know who he is, or you guys have probably come across each other, because the time you were here, um, I want to say I'm pretty certain Barry was, he was out there doing his thing as well, um, maybe, maybe a little after, I'm not certain, but I figure you guys have probably, you know, come across each other. I just interviewed Barry um, a couple days ago, and uh it's interesting, Barry, he's a professional actor here in Atlanta, and he's gotten on some big shows. Um, he's done uh, MacGyver and Star with the Lee Daniel Star, which was on Fox. He's done um, some, you know, just several you know, big name TV shows and stuff like that. He's got some reoccurring roles and, you know, and so Barry's established. But one of his main things is what Greg alludes to or speaks on often is the professionalism that it requires to get to that next level as an actor, you know? And so um, it, was, it was really, really interesting. Uh, that interview was really interesting because he brought to light a lot, again, we're talking about just what you say was common sense stuff, but he brought to light a lot of common sense or what I call basics, you know, the basics of being not an actor, but being a professional, you know? Yeah. This is one thing to be an actor. I mean, anybody can be an actor. You just, you know, you're, you're rehearsing lines or speaking lines or whatever. But to be a professional, there is, you know, there's the, there's the, um, there's the, there are the written rules, I guess you could say, but there's a lot of unwritten rules, a lot of things that are understood um, that makes you that professional person. And I hope, I hope that made sense. Yeah, I think that's really, really key. I call it attitude, but it is, it's basically professionalism. It's, you know, um, and, you know, I, I, I'm always going to have choices of tons and tons of actors to work with. Mm -hmm. So if you are going to bring attitude to my set or, you know, not take it seriously or be unprofessional or put, you know, the project in jeopardy in some way, um, or distract the other actors or whatever, you know, I'm just not going to hire you again. I don't need you, you know, I don't need to. So I'm going to hire somebody else. So I, I can say this and the, all of the information that you've had to share with us today has been really on point to me because I think it's, um, you know, a lot of it's said, but a lot of it's unsaid. A lot, a lot of it is, you know, it's things that um, the, the inexperienced folks really, really needed to hear. So on that, um, I think we can wrap up here, but what can you um, share in a closing that, or what would you like to share in closing with any, uh, with folks um, in regard to how they can contact you, how they can, you know, learn about your, you know, new projects, old projects, anything like that. I think you mentioned some websites and stuff like that earlier. Um, and yeah, we can just close out here. Okay. Um, well, um, online, like there's annwells.com, A-N-N-E-W-E-L-L-E-S.com. I usually keep that pretty well up to date. 
there's lots of there are lots of places online we're on twitter and instagram and facebook and everything with both an accidental zombie named ted and also arthur prescott and the evil alien which is my next project and um uh so you know all of those have places where you can contact me um and uh or follow along with the journey and um i would love it if people would watch an accidental zombie named ted which is all over the place so if you just search it online you'll find all kinds of options for watching it um and the next one is arthur prescott and the evil alien and it's a limited series and so we've just shot a promo for it in december and we were going to have in april we were going to have a release party in la for the promo but obviously because of the pandemic uh, we're holding off on that so that'll happen maybe end of may earliest or june as soon as we do that little party and kind of release these we did a series of promos um then uh then those will start getting released online on social media and then we'll start pitching um the project gotcha in, in la so gotcha i love i love how you work you everything you do is, is very strategic and it's very um purposeful so i i really appreciate that about you and thank you so much for coming on our show we've enjoyed it greg thanks for coming and co-hosting with me again man um and we wish you certainly wish you the best in your career and we will certainly um continue to follow you thank you so much thanks for having me most certainly have a good day guys bye-bye bye, -bye. A special thanks to my guest, as always. I couldn't produce the high-quality show without you. And a very special thanks to each of you in the EIT Nation. You are my biggest supporters and fans, and without you, the show is absolutely nothing. On that, I have a favor to ask. If you're enjoying the show, please help me spread the word. Hit the share button for YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're on and send it to at least four or five friends. That'll help me out. And click the subscribe button while you're at it so you'll be notified upon the release of each new episode. And we're bringing on sponsors too, which is how we're able to support the show. So if you'd like to be a sponsor, reach out to me at smith.durante at gmail.com. Otherwise, if you can simply click on our sponsors links in the show notes and support them, that supports us. Thanks again. Love, peace, and fish grease. And I'm out. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. For only the best show notes, links, classes, and more, go to theexpertprocess.com or follow us on Facebook at The Expert Process or hit us up on Instagram at The Expert Process. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share.